in a series, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I've loved, honestly, the feedback that we have gotten for this series, and it's just been such a wonderful time for it to, to come into as our church. We believe that this teaching series is not just a teaching series, but a real vision for the church and how we are going to operate from this way forward. Um, we want to impart this as part of the DNA of who we are as a church uh, and believe that these series are fundamental. And we're going to come back to this kind of stuff periodically because we believe, as, as the vision statement kind of is God's drawing us to, to we exist at Covenant Life to develop followers of Jesus. Jesus was fully engaged in his emotions. And so how we equip uh, people. We're an equipping church to equip you to be a follower of Jesus in your ministry, in your sphere of influence to go into the world and be the way, the truth, and the light, a new way of living in this world. And so this series is just so, so powerful. We know that spirituality is not separated from just being spiritual and intellectual and emotional, right? We know that, and maybe the church has not taught us that you just need to be spiritual and intellectual. Deny your emotions. Deny all that stuff. Just push it down. Just pray harder. Just read your Bible. Just learn more and deny who you are. And so we've not lived in a holistic space for this time. And I love that Pete Scazzera is the author of this book, An Amazing Man. Check out his book, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he has this wonderful statement that we cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally immature. And it really helped me understand that because I saw so many Christians who loved God with all their hearts, really fervently prayed hours on end, but they were grumpy, they were just judgmental, and there was just no love of Jesus flowing through them. And I could never understand it. I was like, God, they love you so much. Like, why? Why is this, this, this is not adding up to me. It doesn't make sense why this is happening. And so I, I believe this is a big part of the problem that we, do, we detach our emotions from who we are. And so we deny who we are. And so we need to be, to be spiritually mature, we need to be emotionally mature. And so the first uh, message, we need to learn to slow down, to actually ask how we are feeling, to go beneath the surface. God invites us over and over again to go beneath the surface, to engage with our feelings, to ask, what am I feeling in this space? Like Jesus, as we talked about in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was aware, he got into a space, he prayed, he was aware of his broken soul. And he, asked, he knew the why. He knew why his soul was broken. He knew the why. And so do we ask the why in what we're feeling? And then he took it to the Father. In that broken space, he took it to the Father. And so that was our first one. Last week, Pastor Craig did an amazing message, as always, about the power of our past. How when we go beneath the surface, we quickly find that we have a past, we have generational curses, things that are coming into our world, the iniquities of our life is flowing through and causing us, without even realizing we are born into sin, we are born into brokenness, and so we naturally, in a lane, we move, and we can't seem to help it. Have you ever heard the phrase, you're just like your dad, you're just like your mother? 
You just, you know, that phrase spoken over you. You can't even help it. It's funny, I've, I've lived away um, from my family for about se- almost seven years, and I'm becoming more and more like my dad. Um, if anyone saw my Facebook post, they saw a picture of me when I'm like old, and it's like a splitting image of my dad. I like physically, everything about me cannot help because we have these ties. And as uh, Libby wonderfully talked about, we are a new creation. Yes, we are, but we have these ties that are trying to pull us back into the old ways and old habits. You become a new life. You become a new person, but you've got this stuff that's trying to pull you back. And so Pastor Craig talked about how to have positional truth, to go to an experiential, to experience the truth, because lots of us are just practicing Christians. We confess, we know the truths, but do we really live them out? And there's a big separation. And in that, and so the word that he used was to appropriate, appropriation, to begin action in these steps. And so what we're going to be delving into as we continue these principles is action steps to not only know that you are a new creation, but to begin to actually live that out. Wouldn't that be cool if Christians actually lived as a new creation? Like we actually were people that were truly peaceful, loving people that transformed just by being in the atmospheres. And it's not a pressure for us to drill up or have the right words, actions, and things, but naturally just flow out of us that peace. That's what, that's what I want to live for. I want to be that really cool old man that, you know, you just love those kind of like older people who just love to be around. They're just a joy to be around. They're just, they bring peace into that moment. That's my aim in life, to be the cool, peaceful, peace man, peace kind of like grand, granddad. So that's where we are at. So we're going to be delving into our, our third part here, and it's living in brokenness and vulnerability. Quickly, we find as we go beneath the surface, we find that we've got a past, and then we discover that we have a bunch of brokenness. In fact, Genesis 3, what's the first thing that we tried to do, Adam and Eve, when they did something wrong? Covered. Put the band-aid over the brokenness, cover ourselves up. Adam did a wonderful job to shift the blame. wasn't me. Wasn't my fault. It was that one. It was that woman over there. You know, we shift blame. We try and cover up our brokenness and our insecurities. And so I want to delve into an interesting story today within the Bible. Um, Genesis 38 is where we're going to be. I'm reading from the ESV, but I'd love for you to follow along. I'm going to kind of keep this passage PG-13 because it is pretty dark. So I'm going to be hopping and cutting in some of the stuff, but love for you to read it back at home. And it's the story of Judah. Now, this story is a really random story because we've all grown up knowing the narrative of Joseph, right? When he gets sold off into slavery by his brothers, we've got this really random passage that comes in and we jump back into Joseph's story. And and as as someone that read through the Bible, I was like, God, what are you doing intersecting this, this story right here, right now? And so just before we kind of get into this, I just want to pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this word. I thank you for this series. I thank you for your truth. Lord, we just want to slow ourselves in this moment, just to be able to hear your voice. Lord, would you anoint the words that I speak? Would you help me to communicate your desire for us in our brokenness and vulnerability? Would you help us to move forward um, as Christians, to live in the understanding of our brokenness, and be vulnerable about it. Lord, your desire is to have all of us. So Lord, we just open up our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So just 
backspace just before we go into Genesis 38, some stories. And so talk about generational curses. Uh, there's one that's pretty prevalent uh, through this family. And uh, who was uh, Jacob's favorite son? Joseph. It's not a trick answer. Good job. Well done. Some questions, dialogue, interaction. Um, that was a generational curse. Abraham favored Isaac. Isaac favored Esau. Jacob lived in that generational curse to naturally favorite one of his sons. And so that brokenness was experienced by the other 11 brothers. So much so that they wanted to kill Joseph. I mean, so there's this moment in Genesis 37, 26 that says, Then Judah said to his brothers, so, yeah, Judah, in his wonderful shining moment, they want to kill Joseph. And so Judah's answer to all of this is said, then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our hand be upon him, uh, hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. I don't care what kind of rivalry you have or issues with your brother and sisters. I haven't noticed anyone selling their brother or sister into slavery lately, right? I mean, this is a messed up family. There is some clear brokenness that is being experienced. And the good idea, the better idea, was to sell the brother off into slavery. Like that's, that's pretty broken right there. And so we jump into uh, the passage of uh, Genesis 38 here. And it says, It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers, so moved away from his family, and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Harar. So, interesting. Family pain has happened. Brokenness has happened. They've sold their brother off. Their father, Jacob, is a mess. Absolute mess. And so, Judah's answer to this brokenness, I'm just going to run away. I'm just going to get out of this space, out of the promised land. This is the promised land that they were promised that they were going to have flourishment. There was going to be, you know, milk and honey flowing through. There was going to be victory in this land. And Judah said, you know what? I'm tired of this. I don't want to be around this. I'm just going to leave everyone. I'm just going to leave it all behind. So Judah, as we're going to discover through this passage, is really, really broken. He's got a generational thing going on of brokenness, and now he's deciding, you know what? I'm just going to leave it all behind. I'm just going to leave. I'm not going to care about my family. I'm not going to care about that deadbeat dad. I don't care about him anymore. I just want to leave everyone and go do what I want to do. And so as we carry on there, Judah saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went uh, to be with her, slept with her, and had two sons. Interestingly, Judah's uh, wife never has uh, a name mentioned. He went out and married a Canaanite woman. That was against God's plan for marriage. And interestingly, they don't even name the woman because the scripture is like, so detested what he did. So not only is he moving away from God's plan, he's moving away from God's plan for his life. He is actively pursuing a different uh, trip, uh, journey for what God's best for him. And so he had two sons. The two sons, first off, Ur, and he had Onan. 
Both of them did evil in the sight of God. And so they uh, were killed off. And so Ur actually married uh, a Canaanite woman before he was, did evil in the sight and killed. And he married a woman called Tamar. Tamar was the name. And as we find out, she is a, quite an amazing woman over it all. But he ended up having two sons. He had a third son who was called Sheila. That's an unfortunate name for a guy. Uh, Sheila. Um, especially if you were in Australia, that's a really unfortunate name. Um, so he's got these three sons. So two of them die because they do evil in the sight. Ur married Tamar, did evil in the sight of God, killed. He then, uh, Tamar was then married into uh, Onan because that was the deal of the day. Women could not support themselves as they do today, which is an amazing thing. You know, women had to be in a family or else they would die. And so it was natural for the next son to marry Tamar, to be part of the family. And so Onan did evil in the sight of God as well and was killed off. And so if we jump in here at verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, so both sons are dead, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house, which we'll get to in a sec, till Sheila, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die, his third son, like his brothers. So Judah, you know, Jacob's got his thing going on. No, Judah's got his thing going on. He's seeing Tamar marry all his sons, and they're just dying. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to hold off on my third son. Sheila, I know, a bit unfortunate right there. I'm just going to hold off for a moment, because I think you're bad, right? But go live with your father. I get this is, this is wrong for Judah to do that. That's offensive in the culture. Really, really offensive. Because when Tamar is married into family, he is a daughter of Judah. Daughter of Judah. See that, that pattern again? Doesn't care. Doesn't want to take care of it. Don't care about my dad's brokenness. Don't care about anyone else's thing. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go ahead and do my thing. And he did it with Tamar. Go hang out in your father's house till, uh, till Sheila's uh, ready. When he grows into a man. Um, And so Tamar went and remained in the father's house. In verse 12, in the course of time, the wife of Judah, so Judah's wife, Shua's daughter, died. Then Judah was comforted when he had mourned. He went up uh, to Timnah to his sheep shearers. This This is fantastic. So sheep shearers is like a festival. It's, um, it's like, uh, I don't even know what to describe it. Um, it's like a chaotic uh, Matt Chesney, is that Chesney uh, concert in Pittsburgh where things just go chaos? Kenny Chesney, sorry. Kenny Chesney. Imagine a Kenny Chesney concert on, on steroids. A whole week of, of that concert in Pittsburgh would be what we're about to do. And it's called a sheep shearing festival. So for all these sheep shearing lovers, um, they would sheep shear. They would all go out. And this is... This is, uh, this is um, you know, they would go out and they would shear the sheep. And afterwards, they would just get drunk, lashed up. They would uh, go, that's an English term. They would, they would get off their rocker. Um, they would sleep around with anybody. And they would just have a mashed up time. They would go crazy in this moment. So Judah knows about this. And he goes with his friend. And he goes, hangs out at this party event. So Judah's really losing his way right now. He's, he's got some stuff that is piling up over over again. And so Tamar saw this. And so when Tamar was told that his father-in-law was going to Timnah, 
to uh, shear his sheep, uh, she took off her widow's garment and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance of Anaim, which was on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila, he was grown up, and uh, she did not, and she was not being married to him. So Judah had failed in his responsibility. And so then Judah saw her. So Tamar's got this great plan. She's dressed herself up as a prostitute on the side of the road. And in verse 15, Judah saw her and thought she was a prostitute, for she covered her face. He turned to her on the roadside and said, come, let me sleep with you. For he did not know that it was his daughter-in-law. Judah is messed up. Judah is looking for relationships, prostitutes. He's got lust filling all of him. And so it carries on. Um, in, the, in the transaction, she said, what will you give me that you will, you will sleep with me? So what, what are you going to give me as, as a sign that you will pay me? And he was going to give uh, a goat. And he pledged to her uh, a signet, a cord, and a staff. And so these are representations of Judah's identity. His, his rep- representation of being head of the household, a patriarch. I mean, he was giving his identity over to sleep with another person. He was selling off his identity to sleep with another person. And so, as we carry on in the story, they sleep together and Tamar gets pregnant. Tamar gets pregnant. And we find out that then, after the transactions all happened, disappeared, Judah goes, send one of his friends, the Adulamite, to go pay for what has just occurred. Then Judah sent a young goat by his friend to take a pledge back, to take his identity back from the woman and he asked the men of the place, well, where's the cult prostitute who was at Anem at the roadside? And they said, there's no cult prostitute here. No cult prostitute has been here. And so he returned back to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, there was no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things of her own or we shall be laughed at. So we've got, let's just take a step back and see who Judah is. Judah is a liar. He's a betrayer. He's a snake. He has no regard for God. He shifts his responsibilities for other people away, doesn't care for anyone else but himself. He's a drunk. Lust consumes him. And so we carry on with the story, and we find out that that Tamar's pregnant. So after 24, so verse 24, after three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let's burn her. Now in Leviticus 22, we see any adultery that kind of occurs. It's stoning is typically the punishment that we see. But Judah is saying, burn her. This guy, self-righteous. He's like, let's not go, let's go one level. Let's go another level higher. Judah burns women. There's no love, no equalities going on inside of him. He is dark. And I love this, this moment right here. Because when she finds out, because she would have been pulled out by the, the town, she would have been roughed up a bit. And as bringing her out, um, as she was being brought out, she sent a word to the father-in-law. By the man to whom these belong, 
So gave back these staff and, and things. I am pregnant. And she said, please identify the signet and the cord and the staff. Jerry Springer moment. <laughs> right? TV, the whole town is gathering around for this burning session that's about to go down. Judah's about to lay it down. And she sends ahead, Judah, would you mind telling people who's this belongs? Because this is who slept with me. Crazy moment. So we're going to come back to that story in a moment. So we are promised not a pain-free walk. In fact, Jesus said, in this world there will be trouble. There is brokenness all around us. And this definition that I love, um, brokenness is the sin that happens to us, around us, and through us. Brokenness is the sin that happens to us, around us, and through us. It's the things beneath the surface that you don't ever want to share with anybody. It's the coping mechanisms that we try to shut it down. Um, it's the things that we cannot control. It's the person that suffers overwhelming stress and anxiety that just drinks every single night to escape the world of pain that they feel. Um, it's the person who feels lonely and unworthy and uses porn to escape again, to feel the need of wanting another person. It's the married person who has a, an emotional relationship with a work colleague because their marriage at home is broken. It's the person who has deep anger and uses that anger to drive them towards success because of father wounds that happened to them. that They never amounted to anything. They were never good enough, spoken over and over again to them. And the anger just consumes them. And so often we find in the church people who want to control that issue. Well-meaning ideas of how we deal with this brokenness. As opposed to revealing the brokenness, we try to just control it more and more every day. And so there's three actions, reactions that we have to brokenness. First one, we flee we see that Judah, when emotional pain and brokenness was experienced, what did he do? He fleed out of the area, away from the family. Judah escapes the situation of Judah. And he masks it. He masks it even after his death uh, of his wife. He goes out, you know, drinking, prostitution, all that kind of stuff. And we can do that so easily as well, building our own work, escaping into being successful. Look at my medals. Look at all the things and achievements that I have done. And we show those so that people won't look at the brokenness over here. I don't want to deal with this darkness. Let me just be successful in my work. Let me just be a success in my own children. Just let me pour myself in everything else. Let me flee away from the thing that I know that is driving me most. Let me flee out of that. Let me distract myself. Let me numb myself to the pain that I feel. Secondly, we fight. We become angry, bitter, or violent. Angry towards God and others. Have you ever found those people that side on something? It becomes their passion, their bent. Politics is a really strong one. And if you disagree with them, they're going to get anger all because they don't want the anger inside of them is just pouring out over them. And it is just, if I can just get it out, if I can just vent out 
the pain that I feel. And so we see that in the politicians. Uh, We see that even in religion, angry religious people who are defending God because God needs defended. It's the angry feminist uh, blogger. The people that, who are angry about the equalities in life, but they don't approach it right. They just get angry at people because the brokenness that they feel inside, it, it makes them feel better if they just get angry. And third, we hide. We curate our lives like an art exhibition. We just put the best things on show. Look at these wonderful paintings. Look at my social media accounts. Look at my highlight reels of how awesome, selfie, how well my life is. Uh, you know, eternity pool going on, Bahamas, living my best life. Um, uh, chaos burning all around me, but get that selfie in to show. Because if we don't take a picture of it, did it really even happen, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> if I don't capture the moment, it is amazing. I mean, I am so guilty of that as well. Joe even picked up. We were at a Bethel worship concert. So I was videoing it, live streaming. He's like, why are you videoing it? You're right here. I'm like, I want everyone else to see it. I'm at a concert. This is awesome, you know? <laughs> Look where I am, you know? Um, you know, enjoying that kind of stuff. I, I'm so guilty of that kind of stuff because we can hide and push down uh, the things because we don't want to be Judah. We don't want to be people that show our brokenness, right? No one likes those people. We don't want to show that stuff that's going on. The crazy part is that Judah, things go well for Judah. Judah in this broken disgustingness that we can, you know, if we put him up on the news, you know, he would be a horrible person. But things go really, really well for Judah. If we just go to uh, the next slide here. In Genesis 49. So Jacob, at the end of his life, proclaims blessing upon each of the brothers. Each of the 12 get a blessing. And Judah's is by far the best. It's the best of the best. And it's funny because we run parallel the two stories. Joseph's story of a righteous man who gets done over. And Judah, this disgusting man, despicable. The two stories parallel together for a reason in Scripture. And so we come to this moment of where Jacob confesses over Judah, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Has Judah done anything praiseworthy? No. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your fathers, your sons will bow down to you. You are the lion's cub. Judah, your return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to arouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the rulers, the staff from between his feet, until he whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And it goes on. There's many more things it said. He gets the longest, the best promise out of all of his brothers. Crazy. And actually, we see it fulfilled because in Matthew chapter 1, in Matthew chapter 1, we get to see the genealogy of Jesus. In the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah. And his brothers and Judah, father of Perez. And Zerah by Tamar. Isn't that crazy? That this guy who is jacked up, 
got brokenness, got stuff going on, is in the genealogy of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The genealogy of Jesus. See, Judah, from this point on in the story, and we're just going to jump back in here, just on to verse, Genesis, back to Genesis 38 and verse 26 here. So we've had this Jerry Springer moment. Everyone is shouting him down in that moment. Oh, Judah, that's you, buddy. You've been found out. And he has this amazing reply in verse 26. It says, then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I. Since I did not give her to my son, Sheila. From this moment on, Judah changes. There is this vulnerability and honesty which propels him to the success that we see. In Genesis 43 and 44, we begin to see Judah come up. It's Judah and his brothers. Judah becomes a leader. Judah becomes a leader and his whole dynamic of who he is changes from that moment on. When he gets honest, when he gets vulnerable, Judah has grown up. Judah has grown up. And actually to a point, because we know the games Joseph plays to try and get Benjamin and Jacob out. He calls them thieves, keeps Simeon behind. They go back to their father and say, hey, if you want Simeon back, you're not going to be able to get him unless we take Benjamin with us. Jacob's like, I'm not losing another one of my precious ones. Again, that favoritism operating, you know, that generational brokenness operating. And when we come to chapter 43, we see that Judah steps up and says, you know what? Take my life. Sacrificial Judah. He steps up in confidence and says, I'll put my life on the line. Let me take Benjamin. If anything happens to him, take my life. This is a first change for the person that said, you know what, let's make some money off our brother. Like this is a big shift change for who he is as a person. He's come to an awareness and vulnerability and he's seen something amazing shift and change in who he is. And even so far, we see that when Genesis 44, when Joseph puts the cup in Benjamin's sack, right? to see what's going to happen, how the brothers are going to respond, and what happens, Judah steps up again. Judah comes into that moment and says, in verse 33, Now therefore, please let your servant remain himself instead of the boy as a servant to the Lord, and let the boy go back to his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if this boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Huge change for Judah. This compassion. This love. I feel like Judah's starting to become the man that he was always called to be. See, with Judah, the brokenness that he kept inside of him didn't cause him to act randomly. You know, we see people who are just destructive and you just say, well, they're just acting like idiots. No, that's their brokenness that they're keeping locked down inside of them. That what we begin to believe inside of us comes out true and we begin to live it out. So that generational curse, that generational pain that has come through your line that just keeps on happening over and over and over again, that brokenness inside of you 
compelled as well as the brokenness that you operate in as well. That we compound our brokenness with more brokenness. When we hold that all in, we begin to live destructive lives. We begin to develop just the brokenness and we break other people. Shame holds us in this space. Some of the things, you know, I'm not good enough. If people, so I'm just going to please people. I'm just going to keep everyone happy because I'm never good enough. I'm dumb. I'm stupid. If I just keep quiet, people will just think I'm an introvert and they just won't uh, surround themselves with me. If I just keep quiet, because I, I just don't know what to say. And so as we begin to confess that I'm stupid, that I'm done, or I'm bad. I've always been told I'm bad. I'm trouble. So I'm just going to operate that way. You know, I've been told that my entire life. That just must be who I am. So I'm just going to operate in this brokenness. But Judah found something amazing. When you become truly vulnerable, you get to become who you are. That's the crap and all. When you begin to bring that to the surface, you begin to find who you are. You begin to find the peace that you've always longed for. The amount of people that I pray for who just want peace. It's staggering. Over and over again, I just, I just want to feel peace. I just want to feel whole. There's something missing in my life. Pete Scazzera says this about the emotionally healthy churches. People live and lead out of brokenness and vulnerability. They understand that leadership in the kingdom of God is from the bottom up. Not grasping, controlling, lording over others. It's leading out of failure and pain, questions and struggles, and serving that lets go. Is that the church, if we're being honest? Do we see church leaders operating that way? Do we see people in the church operating this way? I don't know if I always do. I think we put leaders on pedestals, and we say, you be the answer for God. You live the moral lifestyle for me, and hear God for me, so I don't have to. And I think this style of discipleship invites all of us because we've all got stuff. I, as a leader, I'm going to let you down. I'm going to let you down royally, probably over and over again in many different areas. And so I invite you always to come to me. Don't hide it. Don't hold on to it. But come to me if I've ever let you down. And we can dialogue about how I've done that. You know, I'm open to that. I, I believe that if I learn to be honest in my own vulnerability and brokenness, I don't try to hide it and masquerade it and try and be the best performer or try and be the best preacher or the best worship leader or whatever. When I let that all go and just let the identity of the Father wash over me, as I begin to understand more and more in that place, there is such freedom for me. You know what? It's amazing over this last year, um, just simply serving at a, a youth camp. I didn't realize how much brokenness I had from when I was a teenager. Then when I got into that space of being a leader, leading worship of these 12 to 18-year-olds, I felt more insecure than ever. I was like, I'm older than these guys. I might double their age. Like, what the heck, God, are you doing to me? And he was like, you haven't dealt with some of this stuff. And so I want you to remain in the uncomfortability, in your brokenness, and lead out of your brokenness. And the stuff that God did in and through me in those environments is life-changing. When I let go of myself my own brokenness and thoughts of what they thought towards me, as I began to let go of that, life began to come forth out of me. So just some quick couple of questions to see how you're doing. 
these questions. How do you do on a scale of one to five when I ask these questions? Five, amazing, one, not so good. Um, I often admit when I'm wrong, readily asking forgiveness from others. Scale of one to five, ask in your mind, how are you doing? I am able to speak freely about my weakness, failures, and mistakes. Others would easily describe me as approachable, gentle, open, and transparent. Those close to me would say that I am not easily offended or hurt. I am consistently open to hearing and applying constructive criticism. I am rarely judgmental of critical of others. Scale of one to five, how are you doing, guys? Some doing well, some like, nope, not good whatsoever. It's a lifetime that we have to work this. But I think it's important because the reason why we're not operating is because the brokenness we're either trying to hide, flee from, or the anger that we use to try the fight, we try to hide it all. And so I just want to finish off with just three. As you know, I'm a practical. I love to give some practical takeaways on what we can do uh, to start this conversation and how we can move with our, our brokenness. Because this is a lifelong journey. This is no one quick fix. This is a day to day. And so the first one is get honest with God. Do you know that you need him? Or have you built a relationship where it's just he's off there, I'm over here. I don't really need you. I've got my own kingdom. I've got my own money. I've got my, I'm self-sufficient, God. I don't need you. See, the same grace and love that you allow God to show you, you will show others. Luke 7.47 says, To whom much is forgiven, loves much. Brokenness gives us the greatest understanding of God's grace. When you truly let yourself be known to who God is, as we sang, I want to be entwined with you. That means all the stuff. I want to be entwined with you. As we begin to understand that, the brokenness kept inside destroys us. But when we begin to live I love this quote from Francis uh, Buford. He says, you won't hear, if you won't hear the bad news about yourself, you can't begin to hear the good news about yourself. There is actually a wholeness about understanding the bad news about yourself, the things, the stuff inside of you. You don't use the good stuff as the band-aid anymore. And you don't just celebrate it, but you become a whole person when you understand to hear the bad news so that you can truly accept the good news of what Jesus says that you are. Share your brokenness with a safe person. I challenge you and encourage you. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do it. Whether you're married, partner, or a friend, would you share your brokenness with one safe person? A person that has capacity to understand your brokenness, that's also very key. Sometimes we're just like, over someone, and they're just like, I'm not ready for this. And it just gets shut down. I'll never share my feelings because they responded so badly. Pick a safe person that you have a long relationship with, that you've got some deepness with. Um, had some great conversations this week and, and saw some really cool stuff that people were able to share their vulnerability with other people. I know it does happen, but I just want to encourage you. Do you have a safe person? And turn is my third one. I find a lot of people, especially in counseling, they love when they get the brokenness and weight off them is the best, like, euphoric feeling they ever feel. I, I often hear, I feel amazing. 
I just, I'm so thankful I got my stuff off. There is a real revelation. And, and, but the problem is, is that people who don't repent, so I use that word turn because that's what repent means. People who don't turn and actually activate in the healing process of brokenness. Because we're not, it's okay. You can be broken. It's okay to not be okay in this environment. We, we don't say that you should have it together to be here. But if we are not actively turning and changing, because God loves us where we are, but he loves us too much to keep us the same. He wants us to change and become like what he has called us to be. So honesty is a powerful thing, but don't let it keep you there. Let honesty propel you to change. Because I think there's two reactions that we can have to people. We can either have um, this towards kind of like when brokenness comes. We can either hide the brokenness again, or we can just say, I hear this a lot. Well, that's just the way I am. I'm just going to justify my brokenness. So that we either hide it or we just say, well, this is the type of relationship that I want to be in. This is who I am. You know, we, we come across all those kind of people. Um, homosexual lifestyle. Um, all these uh, addictions and things like that. We just say, well, that's who I am and, and God loves me. Take it or leave it. And there is a big... Scripture is clear about all of that kind of stuff. He loves people, loves the homosexual community, loves them to bits. We are to love them to bits. But it's not the God-given lifestyle. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, but that's what the Bible says and that's what we live by. But I love, love them. Got friends who are. I walk alongside them. And I think that's a challenge that we need to do as well as Christians, have different viewpoints and walk alongside people. Love them well, because that is not their identity. And so we want to be a church that says, you know, come with your stuff. And maybe there might be some responsibility that you need to take for your stuff. But we are here to love you well. We're here to walk alongside you. We're not going to judge you, but we're going to encourage you to turn and become the person that God has called you to be. Amen? So get honest with God. Find someone that you can share that brokenness with, safe person. And begin to think, God, how can I turn and let that brokenness not rule me anymore? Because Judah is the perfect example of it. It can happen. The greatest blessing came from the most messed up of all of them. And it was highlighted for all the world to know. Yeah? For all of eternity, Judah will be known as this person. But he had the greatest blessing because he understood the power of being vulnerable about brokenness. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. Lord, it's a hard word to hear because we don't like to operate, especially in America. We do not like to show our dark side. We don't like to show our broken side. We like to curate the best. But Lord, I so want to be a church that invites Judas into our community. I want to invite the Judas, the people who are messed up, broken, and Lord, we want to be the love that comes alongside them, that loves them well. Lord, let us be a safe place to call home that enables people to exist in their brokenness. But that we show them like we have been shown, and we're still on that journey, that there is something better for us. There is a life and a life to the full that causes us to be the best version of ourselves. Would we enable other people to speak into our vulnerable states? 
Would we enable our hearts to be open to you, Father, to speak honestly to us? Would we receive the criticism of others in a constructive way? Would we be open that our identity is not in our performance, but it is in you, Father? And so, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this word. Holy Spirit, just in a moment, would we just rest in this word? I just want to take just a moment just to be still. Just begin to ask Holy Spirit, what is it that you want me to get honest about? 